The opinions and views expressed on this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show or other programs on KUCI, please log on to KUCI.org for the latest program schedule. So last night was so crazy. Dude, I know. Oh, dude, I went into the bathroom. And I swear, this girl and this guy were totally on KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. You're listening to Real People of Orange County, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. This show is a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Good afternoon, and welcome to today's edition of Real People OC, where we are always bringing you Orange County's best and brightest people. We are airing weekly on Thursday afternoons from 4 to 5, and if you're not able to receive our signal here at 88.9 FM in Irvine, we are streaming live at KUCI.org during that hour, and we are always available via podcast on KUCI.org and on iTunes with College Radio. If you're interested in our guests, you can find their links to their information by going to our show website. Real People OC. So welcome to today's edition. And today's guests, we have the Ecology Center in Orange County, the founder Evan Marks, and the Educational Program Director of the Center, Dr. Meg Heisinger. Now, if you haven't heard of Evan, he is one of Orange County's native sons, and he joined the Surfrider Foundation as a teenager, a lifelong surfer, yogi, and colorful visionary member of the Orange County community. Evan is here to tell us his story and to talk to to us about the um, the Ecology Center, this um, passion project that he's had, and along his side is Dr. Meg, and she's going to chime in from time to time. She's uh, going to tell us how she plays a role in this great organization. So welcome to the studio. Thanks. Thank you so much, Kimberly. It's great to be here. Thanks, Kimberly. It's an honor. It's always fun to tell our story with the community. Oh, good. Well, I would love to, for you to take me back to the beginning. They um, they put in your bio information the Surfrider Foundation. Mm-hmm. So surfing obviously was a really big part of your start. Tell yeah, us about that I journey. I started surfing when I was about six or seven, Long Beach, and instantly got that salt through my body as... Uh, sort of the core relationship that I had to the environment. So literally every day we'd want to go surfing and it usually ended up to be a week, a weekend experience for us as a kid. I have an older brother and we were the Groms that you, Groms surf term kids that just love to surf. And that's, we live and breathe surfing still to this day. And, but as kids, we were surfers and skaters and that, that DNA of that culture really spoke to me. So two things, one is, our love for the ocean and our commitment to its protection. And then the third thing, I guess, or the second thing is the culture that comes with surfing, which is we can do it better and that we're not following anyone else's lead. We're going to do whatever it takes to follow our dreams. And so I think in a nutshell, that sort of presents where we're at today. Interesting. Okay. So tell me about your involvement in the Surfrider Foundation and give us a little background about the foundation. Well, the Surfrider Foundation is an international nonprofit working on the protection of the ocean. And as a teenager, through marine biology, we did ocean testing. And on the weekends, we did beach cleanups and just general ocean awareness. And as a kid, as a teenager, that was the first experience that I had, um, not necessarily in the ocean, but in the relationship, the understanding that we have a negative impact on our environment. 
so that when I was actually testing the ocean just at the beach that we would surf after school and the waters after the rain were super dirty, um, leading to beach closures. When we would go on the weekends to pick up trash and we'd fill bags full, that sort of opened my eyes and said, hey, well, what's happening here? This is not all perfect. We as humans in this community have a direct relationship to the environment and it's not always positive. So those are some of the... Um, I guess the, the first awareness building moments in my life as a teen that says, hey, there's, we can do better than this. And that because we care for the ocean, that it's our ability and obligation to stand up for what we believe in. And that moved me in another direction. Do you think that, that you, you mentioned this interesting concept that we could do it better as part of the surfing culture. I'm, mm. I'm fascinated by that statement. Do you think it has something to do with, like you said, how close your daily routine and almost your needs are being met by your relationship to this very beautiful part of nature, the ocean? Absolutely. I mean, surfing for, for surfers is a spiritual experience. So it's, it really is that yoga for, um, for yogis or that whatever that magical experience is for people. It's surfing and surfers are presented with that when they go into the ocean. It is an inspiring place to be and we all live near the ocean and we feel it. Um, could you imagine what that feeling would be like if you thought that that future experience was compromised or in jeopardy. So that's, I guess, sort of painting that picture of what it's like to say, hey, we can do better. We're actually f moving from a place of, hey, this is real. It's not just, hey, there's trash on the beach and our oceans are not as clean as they should be. It's that, hey, what if surfing is compromised? What if the opportunity to actually be in the ocean is no longer? That paints a whole different realization. It absolutely does. Did you have experiences where you couldn't go to your favorite beach on certain days because of the pollution? Oh, yeah. I mean, I grew up in Newport, and river jetties after a rain was always closed. And, you know, even recently we see beaches in Huntington Beach in the middle of the summer through various issues of sewage treatment um, and leakage being closed as well. It's I, I've you know Since high school, I've traveled quite a bit, and I see the, the, the health of the ocean is is potentially compromised everywhere um so yeah it's, it is it is very real and 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 the issues do not just go away right so. right it's pretty potent yeah. yeah so okay in your biographical information it talks about you studying um agroecology mm -hmm. so tell me about how you expanded your your uh, goals really to well i really kind of put one plus one to two together and i learned through this journey around ocean awareness and pollution that agriculture is the number one source of runoff pollution globally. So when we think about it, where our food comes from is what's poisoning our oceans. So that was one plus one is two. Okay, we better fix that situation. So I went into that, that body of work called agroecology, which is really kind of a fancy term for the study of sustainable agriculture. And I did that at UC Santa Cruz. And it was literally looking, you know, and I'm, I'm an optimistic visionary type of person that says hey well if agriculture is the problem to our oceans then why don't we sort why don't we sort out and start creating solutions for the agricultural challenges um and it looks like sustainability it looks like the mitigation of runoff and pollutants and toxins and all that kind of stuff and at the end of the day it looks like a healthy ocean and it comes it starts with how we grow food so that opened up the next pathway for me is that not only food is what connects us to that, you know, agriculture connects us to food and that basic need, but food connects us to everything. And agriculture becomes the core center of community because most of my work after school was throughout Latin America, working in communities with the core intention of 
working on food systems and, and designing healthy models of agriculture, but it really connects to everything else because then it connects to freshwater issues and it connects to human health issues. It connects to shelter and living situation, connects to sanitation. It's all connected. And that's sort of the fun thing where we start thinking holistically about systems and design. And that's, I guess, really um, what the journey that I've been on over the last 10 years is how, how and what it looks like to design harmonious systems that actually support nature and not compromise it. So that support humans in building a healthy relationship to themselves and the people around them and, of course, the nature and the environment. Beautifully said. You know, some of your travels took you to Costa Rica, Peru, Ghana, Mexico. Um, was it easier to implement these systems that you're talking about in these communities just because maybe their their um, connection to where they were living was maybe a smaller microcosm of what we need to try to do here in the United States? In short, the answer is yes. And why that is, is because most of these cultures are still agrarian. So when, you're, when your lifestyle, your relationship to nature is still one step away, then everything changes, right? Our, what we're doing at the Ecology Center is reintroducing relationship to nature and, and environment. That has been disconnected because of concrete and all of these technologies and surroundings that we have engaged in. Um, to create this life for ourselves, this better life. But when you move to other places, they still have amazing lives, but they also understand and often are practicing what it would be like to harvest rainwater, right? Fresh water, the most pure water is falling from the sky. We would collect it. We can grow food, so why not plant a fruit tree out our backyard? Like, we need to eat. Let's just put something in the ground, and let's let that tree provide shelter and shade for our house. Let's harvest rain. Of course, we're going to have dirty water that comes out of our house, so let's make sure that irrigates our plants. And then the systems start to kind of ripple outwards from that, but you can maybe visualize that. Um, and it's not we're not saying that these are poor, uneducated people at all. We're just saying that they have a direct connection to nature, so they can understand how natural systems work. And it looks different than here. So we're, it's, it's a bigger, complex engineering process that happens in developed places like this. I love the comments about being disconnected from our food sources because mm. in this country, certainly in, in most developed nations, there's like this big giant food machine, you know, churning out food and then in its same efficient way, packaging it and placing it before us mm. in grocery stores and easy places to get it. That what has What have we lost by losing that connection? Can you articulate that a little bit? I think I'll try. I, I think in, a, in an essence, we've industrialized everything we do. So we've, we've killed the emotion. We've killed the love that comes from the most beautiful things in the world, which is things like food, which is things like architecture, which is things like art, which is we're basically trying to systemize everything to the compromise of not only ourselves, but the systems and the beauty and the art and the culture and all of these things. Because at the end of the day, that's all we are as humans. We're a body of, of an imagination and a culture that says we've done these things for a certain way and it looks like this and we reap the benefits and we share the knowledge and we try to nourish each other and grow the, our intelligence in our communities. But when we, start, there's, when we start trying to industrialize everything like nature and food systems, then we start moving downhill because we lose intelligence really quickly. So we're killing culture. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. 
I think it does. Yeah, I mean, it's insightful. And I, I mean, I just remember in my own studies, one of the most interesting things was what it did to our our sense of accomplishment or self-worth when mm-hmm. we disconnected ourselves from the actual products that we were making to sustain our lives, mm-hmm. whether it be something as simple, not that food is simple, but as simple as growing your own food, but also, you know, the things we make, you know, people go into small spaces in their office and they participate in the making of something, but they're really not connected to it in the same way. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So when did the concept of the ecology center come? What, what, what did you have to accomplish before you got to that place, you know, emotionally and intellectually and educationally before you got to that place? Well, I've always dreamt big. And when I was in college, I'd at, you know, I, I spent my after schools and my weekends and my summers farming. That's what I did for not just in school, but that's what I did to make some extra money. Here in Orange County or where in were you In Santa Cruz um, okay. and other places like Hawaii. I would spend the summers farming in Hawaii. And I guess there was a first moment where I, I thought that as a, as a college student that farming is really difficult. And the kind of there's a reason why maybe everyone's not in farming anymore. So that's doesn't that doesn't take anything away from farming. It doesn't take anything away from people, but it's, it's a difficult livelihood. And I was always engaged with the big idea of how people connect to not just food, but to water and energy and shelter, like the holistic design solution piece. Um, So I always wanted to create an education center. And I thought of an education center idea when I was in college and I actually called it botanical roots. And it was this uh, ethnobotanical um, arboretum. So what ethnobotanical arboretum means is that they're cultural plants, so food, medicine, building materials, um, textiles, etc., that come from specific areas. So oh, it was it was very much a, a neat journey that I sort of painted and I sketched out and I kind of even built out this business plan for and put that on the side. And simultaneously, um, about a year later, I, I met um, I met an, um, a woman in Costa Rica who was a farmer in Virginia who was very well connected. She was a graduate student in ethnobotany. So it's like, oh, that sounds right up my alley. Oh, have you heard of the Eden Project? And simultaneously, without my knowing, but much more ahead of me, there was a project in England that was born called the Eden Project, which is basically the education, it's an educational facility, um, maybe 500,000, a million visitors a year. They took an old degraded uh, mine, China clay mine from in the in Cornwall, England, southwest of England, and turned it into this Eden, literally this exploration of people's relationship to plants. So I guess I, I came up with an idea of education. I saw it in action. I spent the next four years working internationally um, as a consultant, um, working on behalf of local farmers, but also designing the ideas that I was envisioning like what does it look like how does we create healthy food systems that benefit the ocean so i was prototyping and working on to learn that education at small and large scale and then i came full circle and i'd said well the idea in orange county looks different than an ethnobotanical arboretum those are words and concepts that we will hopefully bridge the gap of shortly but the idea is that we wanted to just start at the beginning of this journey of sustainability with people. So introducing new words and concepts, participation for what it means to build a healthy Orange County, build a healthy Southern California, and it starts every day. And that's the core of the Ecology Center. So we really wanted to 
basically create a community center where everyone can participate in the solutions that create health and abundance. So that's health in your home, that's health in your life, but it's also health in the environment. And we do that through hands-on learning. We live in an, we, we work out of an old historic farmhouse where when I, um, I guess, stumbled upon it, if you will, five years ago, it was a beautiful historic Victorian from 1878, and it was empty. Where is it located? Located in San Juan Capistrano. So the historic city of San Juan Capistrano, the oldest wooden house in San Juan. And the adjacent property of this beautiful historic house is was a vacant lot. So one acre dirt lot. And even better was that there's 26 acres around the lot is a working organic farm. And it has been for 15 years before I got there. So I basically had the invitation from the farmer and shared my vision he said well talk to the city there's an idea there's an opportunity here there's an open house and an open lot and again the idea was that if we could open our doors to the public to inspire people to make a difference every day the simple tangible ecological solutions then all of our lives all of our communities would be much more healthy and much more beneficial than what they are existing today so it looks like kind of your original question of what are we compromising? Well, we're also what we're compromising is really our ability to engage in life fully because all of these things are such beautiful activities. And at the end of the day, community is what makes all of us inspired and happy. And if we don't have community, then we live in boxes that where we're disconnected from each other and we probably end up eating bad food and we don't care about nature. And all of these things start spiraling downhill and we lose culture overnight. So we're trying to, I guess, re-engage that through the process of building community, learning hands-on skills, and just engaging people in fun activities. Wonderful. Okay, so let's talk about the center. It's it's five, six years old now? You've Almost five. Almost five. Okay. Tell me how you achieve this goal. Do you have students come in or just anybody that wants to show up? How does this work? How do we achieve our goal? I we mean, how do you get people in the door? How do we... Beg, borrow, and steal. Oh. We, do, we do everything we can. <laughs> Sounds so, like a typical nonprofit. <laughs> yeah. You know, let me, I'm going to take a step back. How do we get people in the door is that we create an inspiring program of offerings that is engaging for everyone. Mm-hmm. So you'll hear from Dr. Meg in a second from what we're doing with schools and school teachers to inspire and empower them with teaching sustainability or talk. We can talk about the programs that we do with the general public um, and everyone in between, but the, I think the story of, of, of how we've gotten here over the last five years is that we've created this, um, what I would consider this amazing team, all-star team. So um, my background is in sustainability. It's not in nonprofit management. So we found people that were leaders in the nonprofit world in our community to join our board of directors. People Wonderful. like Harry Helling, who runs the Crystal Cove Alliance, who used to run the Ocean Institute. So literally, we know, I guess that was the first piece of insight is that we don't have all the expertise, so they're out there. Let's build the most incredible team. So we brought on nonprofit leaders. We brought on business people. Um, the chair of our board right now, her name's Jamie Welsh, who's a dynamic, amazing businesswoman. Women, people like Shaheen Sadegi, um, Christina, uh, Christina Chirpus, other business people, um, people from the, the business community, not necessarily the strategy of business, but the business community, people like uh, um, Kim Krantz from Boeing, and uh, and Dale Howe is a, is a local CPA. So that's just the internal group. There's a whole design team that, that's part of our work. There's architects. There's program um, experts. 
Um, it's basically you'll see us as a, as a small and burgeoning group, but there's there's dozens of people behind the scenes. I guess that's sort of right. part of the magic. A lot of people supporting uh, the effort. Yeah, it's the intellectual property. So, okay, so maybe I can turn this to you, Dr. Meg, for a little bit, and you can talk to me about some of the educational programs that you offer at the center. Absolutely. Thanks, Kimberly. Um, When I arrived at the Ecology Center about a year and a half ago, we were just starting to offer field trips to local schools. So that's the first thing that I helped build up. Uh, Now we think we had about... 2,500 students come and tour the Ecology Center last year. Um, So we offer a variety of different programs and field trips around our five core areas. So um, at the Ecology Center, we've divided the whole world (laughs) into five areas, which is um, food, water, energy, shelter, and waste. And our, our actual one-acre site, um, we, we call the Ecolabs, or a section of it is called the Ecolabs. And so we offer, um, we offer field trips to students to come and tour and engage hands-on in the Ecolabs. Uh, some schools, depending on uh, what they're studying, might want to come and just focus on water. Um, we have a really cool water setup uh, that Hurley has helped us build up. And uh, Hurley being one of your sponsors. Hurley being mm-hmm. one of our amazing, beloved sponsors. Wonderful. We're so grateful to them. So uh, we have on-site water exhibitions, anywhere, anything from um, looking at gray water recycling to rainwater harvesting, Uh, with an emphasis being on things that you can actually do at home. We also have a mobile water exhibition called The Watershed, which tours and goes off-site. It's actually going to be at the Hurley Pro about three weeks from now Mm. in uh, in September. Tell tell me about the shed. (laughs) The shed. (laughs) We do call it the shed. The shed is what it sounds like. It's a play on the words watershed. We all live in watersheds, which is basically the community through which water runs uh, and runs out to the ocean, as Evan was talking about earlier. So we actually built a shed and named it the watershed with the help of Hurley, as I said. And it opens up and inside of the shed is a setup of three pumps where the kids learn where their water comes from. They can hand crank a pump to fill up their their pitcher of daily water from underground aquifers, from rainwater, and from our biggest water source, which is actually the Colorado excuse me Colorado River, several hundred miles away. And once the kids have filled up their pitcher, they then walk through the shed and they have a series of choices that represent daily choices that each and every one of us uh, makes in the course of a day. So do you choose to spend your water on a burger or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Both of those having very different water inputs. Uh, Do you leave the water on or turn it off when you're brushing your teeth? Um, Do you play soccer or watch TV. And it's really to give kids an awareness, I guess I should say kids of all ages, an awareness of 
where their water comes from and that you need water for every single thing that you do. It goes into everything you do during the day, not just the visible places like turning on the faucet or showering. Interesting. Okay, so if you're just tuning in, this is Real People OC, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. We're here at KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and I have with me today Evan Marks and uh, Dr. Meg Hesinger. So we talked a little bit about Evan's background, Dr. Meg, but let's talk a little bit about yours. You have um, your doctorates from MIT, so how does all of this layer into Mm -hmm. the environmental studies? Tell us about that. I would love to, Kimberly. Um, I really am glad to tell my story after Evan because I, although I've worked with him for the last couple of years, I didn't realize that there were so similarities in how we got to where we are. I grew up in Philadelphia and in the city of Philadelphia, yet down the street from the entrance to a forest. And I spent a lot of time outside as a kid. So I was very familiar from a young age with the the healing spiritual aspects of being connected to nature. And when I was, um, when I was in my early teens, maybe even preteen, I read a book about a native American woman growing up in the seventies. And in this book, she talked about this life that was this really fascinating hybrid of these earth and nature-based spiritual traditions, and then this very stark reality of the poverty of ha- of living a kind of semi-industrial life disconnected from, from uh, earth and nature as her ancestors lived. So that inspired me to s- begin a series of journeys during my summer times in high school to visit and and work with Native American communities in the southwest of this country. The first community that I visited and and lived with was the Navajo Nation in the Four Corners area. So that first summer on the Navajo Nation was probably the pivot point for me in in terms of my dedication to make a life and a career out of this i lived for i did a homestay with a weaver named betty small canyon and i went to the local the local pond and washed my hair with her daughters i went and herded sheep with her son and i watched her use local plants to dye and color her wool and i saw and was amazed by the extent to which these people really were living off of and making their livings with products uh directly harvested and crafted from their their natural environments so that that experience led me to study cultural anthropology as an undergrad at UC Berkeley and I was especially interested based on on my time spent with such nature connected people on the relationship between people and their and nature their natural environments and their resources so 
what led me to MIT, <laughs> which <laughs> seems like a strange place perhaps for a cultural anthropologist, <laughs> is um, was that work and that I did a, a project in, on the Navajo Nation with communities where they had done uranium mining in the 40s through the 70s. And so I interviewed a lot of people and I was really fascinated by their stories of what it meant to live in a place that they were so deeply culturally and spiritually connected to. And yet they also perceived as being polluted and hazardous to their health. So I ended up finding my way into a very cool interdisciplinary program at MIT where, um, where historians, anthropologists, and even uh, hard scientists like engineers, physicists, and chemists came together to look at the the relationship of culture and our environment from different perspectives. Fascinating. What was what were some of the impacts that they found with the uranium mining? Uh, the the main impacts that people were studying when I got there were the physical impacts. So uh, lung cancers, silicosis, other kinds of cancers. And those were actually, by the time I got there, already documented enough that under the Clinton administration, they had already set up a compensation program for former miners or families of them if the miners were no longer alive. Interesting. Uh, yes, and and I I came in with my cultural story telling hat on, and um, I actually had the the good fortune to go on a survey tour with the local community health worker, where she was surveying, doing a random population survey of people's knowledge about radiation, and so uh, as people were telling their stories, I was picking them up, and I was asking her, well okay, your survey has, has a lot of boxes to check, but I'm hearing people talking for 20 minutes and shedding tears over th- these complex webs of their families and lives that are deeply affected by this. What's going to be done with that information? And for her purposes, nothing. So that's where I stepped in and, and wrote a more qualitative survey, just that, that people, um, there's a sense of kind of self-betrayal Um, among some people, or there was at that time, Um, and that people were also suffering because they had lost so many family members to this. And at the same time, it was also the best way to earn a good living that they had found in those decades. Right. It was a bit of a trap for them. Yes. And I bet we see this in all different areas, not just in rural areas where mining is present, but like we were talking about, you know, I see so many people trying to make meaningful changes in their suburban lives. And I mean, I'm telling you, it's I, it's hard. I mean, just adding the recycling component was huge. I did that when I was young. But some of these other ways to bring this into our lives, is is that what the Ecology Center is hoping to do, is really make some of these transitions easier on people so they can participate a little bit more deeply in, you know, the buzz of the environment? That's exactly what it's all about. It's really about breaking it down such that, there's a starting place that it's not all about transforming your life overnight. And I think that, 
you know, our program called Backyard Skills. We brought you a copy of our book today, Kimberly. I can't wait to look over that. And I think that's a really good ethic of, you know, a good presentation of who we are as an organization and why we think that skills and simple solutions can make a difference, not only to the environment, but at the end of the day, what we're really talking about is empowering people. So, um, you know, and, and it really does become fun because most of these activities are community-based. So there's some simple things like, you know, we walked in here with a reusable water bottle and we, we work with Hurley, as we talked about earlier, and they have a campaign to get rid of all plastic bottles, um, not just in their headquarters, but in every sort of facet of work that they do. So they've, you know, I think last year they have an H2O bottle, which is their water conscious campaign and, and program. I think there's 50,000 bottles that went out just last year and so that's just a dent because there's three million plastic bottles being manufactured and used every single day so we have a long way to go but the thing is i guess there's a simple solution for a big issue because at the end of the day the plastic doesn't actually end up into recycled new plastic it ends up often into our landfills and our ocean right so that the simple and the cool thing is about the bottle is it actually is a symbol for a culture meaning if you carry around your bottle people know that you're you're in it. You're you're committed to making a difference. So, right. I'm noticing now too a, a popular trend, not just among specialized schools, but even mainstream schools, where they're discouraging kids from bringing plastic in their lunch pails, um, things that would just automatically go in the bin, you know, like waste-free Wednesdays and things like that. Right. Absolutely. Slowly integrating that, or issuing the kids water bottles at the beginning of the school year to encouraging them to use that rather mm-hmm. than bringing a water bottle. Totally. Well, um, we're there's so, so much excitement happening. We started the center five years ago, and. It, We've really seen transformation both in corporate industry as well as just in the public sector and and schools and everything in between where there really is, and it's not, I wouldn't say a buzz, but there's a awareness and an urgency to engage. And we're all starting at at the beginning because, and this is a wonderful journey and it never ends, but everyone is engaged in something around how do we connect, reconnect with life and, and meaning. And I think these are the types of solutions that help engage that. It's beautiful. It is a shift, though. It's like you said, it's deeper than just changing one or two habits. There Mm -hmm. is a real cultural shift Mm -hmm. um, taking place. Talk to me a little bit more about some of the programs that you have there. Do you want to talk about backyard skills or there's also the Grow Your Own? I'd Um, say something about backyard skills is sort of a a tee-in for Meg on on Grow Your Own. You know, the, the, the thing is that we evaluated our community and we thought, that, that while there's a lot of talented people in our space, there's not enough expertise in building the the important tools um, and retrofitting the homes and the communities that we envision. So Backyard Skills is a DIY workshop series. Workshops happen at the Ecology Center every weekend, and it's a Saturday-based program. And it's really about bringing people together to have fun and engage. So things like how do you harvest rain and build a rain barrel? How do you compost your waste and build a worm bin? How do you brew your own organic beer? Um, everything, everything <laughs> under the rainbow, and it's um, those sort of dovetail into our cooking classes called Farm to Fork, and really dovetail into what Dr. Meg's doing with our teachers and training teachers to be leaders in not only their schools, but in their entire community around the relationships to not garden and food necessarily, but just stewards. And Meg can talk to you more about that program. Okay. Yes. Thanks, Evan. So the main program that I run is called Grow Your Own, and it's a school garden support program. And we 
this idea came up a couple of years ago when we noticed that there were a lot of schools really excited about the idea of getting kids connected to nature and the source of their food through gardens, but that they lacked some of the basic knowledge and skills to program the garden and to keep them functioning and integrated in in the school life for more than a couple of years. So we we conceived of this Grow Your Own program where through teacher trainings, resources, curriculum, uh, mentorship on organizing and fundraising, we would support a select number of schools in Orange County, especially ones that had underserved populations. Um, so last year was our pilot year, and we worked with three local schools. We worked with Malcolm Elementary, with Kenosha Elementary, and San Juan Elementary, all close neighbors of the center. And it was really amazing to watch these garden teams grow. We have some really amazing grassroots leaders in our schools in the form of our parents and some really gung-ho teachers and principals. And it was really wonderful. We we kicked off the year with a school garden bus tour where we... Oh, very nice. It Instead was of a home tour, a bus tour, a find, garden tour. Got to find inspiration. Exactly. So that happened in September and we're we're getting ready for... Uh, year number two this September. So do you sell like tickets for people to go around to the garden tours? Is it a no. fundraising opportunity for you? Or? It, no, our, our Grow Your Own program is is fortunately funded for us. So uh, it's grant subsidized. Very nice. We And we have a, a really wonderful corporate sponsor who helped us kick off the year last year, Chipotle restaurants. Love them. They're very, they're the best, inter- they're the best and they're really interested mm-hmm. in, in healthy food and connecting kids and, and all people with the source of their food. So Very nice. Yeah. So they're really putting their money where their mouth is by funding a program such as this. Yeah, their, their mission statement's food with integrity, so it's fun that we get a team with them on that mission, and like what Meg's doing is... We're, and this is, we're prototyping this in Orange County and moving into San Diego next year to look at how do we empower and, and give the resources to teachers so that the gardens can be sustainable, meaning that we don't have to be there to facilitate programming every month or every year. It's that they are empowered and create a network. And so we're looking at how do we do that at a larger scale. And that's it's a really exciting conversation because it's basically about how do we all work together so that our children stay healthy and our gardens grow and and the future looks even brighter. So let's talk a little bit about um, local farming and some of the resources that people have here in Orange County. It's becoming a big trend to have the local markets. Talk to us a little bit about that for vegetables on the weekends or during the week. Yeah, well, there's farmer's markets are becoming super popular, and they're all over. Every town has one. And the one right across the street here in Irvine is the best in Orange County. And so, you know, we're... Because Orange County has lost its agrarian sense, most of this food is coming from outside of the county. So it's always good, no matter if you're at a restaurant or at a farmer's market, to talk to people about where the food comes from. Hey, where is this sourced from? Is this organic? You know, what are some of your philosophies? Get a sense of it because these are relationships that are important to build. If you find a restaurant that you like and you find their story compelling to you, then continue to support them. If you're interested in building a relationship with a farmer and you really like his produce, 
learn more and and continue to support him but farmers markets are kind of the perfect way to open the door to the the literacy of of, of where our food comes from and, and to build that community um and I also would love to jump in here and, and just talk for a minute about how kids and adults are learning through the Grow Your Own program, how they can start growing their own food at home or at school, wherever the case may be. So one of the main things is that we're trying to teach gardening not as some out there arcane skill, but as something that everyone can do no matter where they're at. And I think that's the main, one of the main purposes of the Ecology Center, as Evan said, which is to give people skills for wherever they're starting and knowing that everyone is starting in a different place. So for example, you don't even have to have a backyard to grow your own food. You can have a pot of herbs in a window box or on a back patio. There's a lot you can do in a little space. And so what I, one of the things I really like about the Grow Your Own program and it's the way we've designed it is that kids are learning at school how to how to garden and grow their own food. Teachers are learning how to teach that. And we're also providing little take homes so that kids can go home and teach their parents. Right. And start that conversation at home. And close that gap, really. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that it turns into action. So one of the the more exciting things you do annually is your green feast. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited to hear about this. I think any time you talk to people about having dinner or having dinner outside um, or served by local chefs, there's lots of excitement that conjures up for so much. an event like that. So you must be very proud to be holding your fifth annual. It's our fifth annual. Farm to table dinner. So tell us about that. That's exciting. It's in the same um, vein of all of the work. It's really this accelerated storytelling and relationship building. So we link up with the best organic farmers, fishermen, winemakers um, from within 250 miles away. So literally that. So that's our food shed. So that goes to Paso and it goes down to, to San Diego and kind of you can imagine where else it goes from there. But it's 250 miles is the radius. And then we pair these fishermen and farmers with... Uh, the celebrated chefs of Orange County, and there's about 15 of them this year. Oh, it's, nice. It's an amazing group. The first year we did it, we did it with one big table of 200 people, and we teamed up with Chef Rich Mead of Sage Restaurant and team brought him together with a handful of local farmers, and it's grown so much since then. We're five years into it, so the, the details that have added this time is that we have – the beginning reception, if you will, is called the Eco App Off, and it is a sustainable the app. Eco what? The app Eco off? App Off. <laughs> like appetizers? Appetizers. Oh, very cool. So it's a, it's a garden tour slash sustainable appetizer competition. Ah, a little and competition. 10 chefs that we choose, hand select from around the county, battle it out for the sustainable appetizer of the year. And then those chefs, the, the guests vote on them. With they get two little fava beans and they put the beans in the jar and it's there's live music that's in our exquisitely beautiful garden setting and it's this wonderful little reception meet and greet learn get to know your farmer get to know your chef and then people vote on their best we celebrate the winner and then we sit down for a big dinner and that is 200 people um, one big table in the middle of the garden and it's a narrative storytelling of where the food comes from so we'll do that with bringing farmers up bringing chefs up and this year we have a video that will pre- that will um, project onto the side of the house that tells the real in-depth story of why that wine is 
biodynamic and what that means and where it comes from and how we met the fishermen from the dory fleet in newport beach and we went on a journey with them and um, we caught sculpin and crab and that kind of stuff and we you know met the farmers right on our property called south coast farms and we toured around and harvested tomatoes and it really is this wonderful celebration of local food in, in a nutshell and it people love it and it generates funds for our work that perpetuates this type of awareness and education every day of the year. Very nice. Um, can you tell us who some of the chefs are? I'd be happy to. We have some of our main course chefs are. Uh, we have Eve and Alyssa from Andre's Conscious Cuisine. Very cool. Where are they located? They're here, right here in Irvine. Andre's Conscious Cuisine. It's an amazing farm-to-table type of restaurant okay. right off of Jamboree. Very nice. And we have um, Rich Mead and Patty Glennon. So Rich Mead is, is sort of one of our founding chefs who's always teaming up with us and he's been working with farmers for the last 20 years. So this is this is nothing new for him. So he brings a lot to the table and he's sort of like the, the wisdom of the whole group. So he team, And then Patty Glennon is one of our chief activists. He is a fishmonger for Santa Monica Seafood. So oh, those two cool. are teaming up around all the vegetarian meals and the first course. And then we have Ryan Adams from 370 Common and Rob Wilson from Montage also doing um, a partner dish with uh, Cook's Pig Ranch, which is um, amazing heirloom pork varieties out of Julian. Oh, very so, interesting. And then the, the, the last course is um, David Pratt from Brick Pizzeria in San Clemente and Chef Erica Tucker, who's one of our favorites, teaming up with the, du- the Dory Fishermen of Newport Beach to bring this wonderful... Uh, exploration of seafood to the table so it's going to be this not just fish but it's a whole kind of extravaganza if you will very nice (laughs) um i'm fascinated where like where do you well first of all let's stick i want to stay focused on the event um fresh seasonal local all food and drinks worth us in the 250 miles Mm -hmm. how um how can people take that moment and bring that into their lives. If they're lucky enough to be one of the 200, mm-hmm. um, are you, are they given places to shop? How, That's how a does really that great question. We Last year we put together a resource and a database of all the local purveyors in the 250-mile radius, and that should be available on our website. And that that web address is theecologycenter.org. Theecologycenter.org. Yes, exactly. theecologycenter.org. So we make, you know, this is about network and community, so we one support all of these chefs because they've engaged in this sort of thinking in the, on a daily basis in the restaurants Two, connect with the farmers and the purveyors that were su- that are supporting us for the dinner and those are mostly found in local farmers markets so not necessarily the market in san clemente or in corona del mar but the the really great markets uh, of southern california which would be like santa monica um, or um, even irvine would be great markets to start with Okay, very So th- cool. there are resources out there, but how do we engage in the conversation every day? It's really about asking questions, and that's what this whole journey is about, is just starting to think backwards about where everything comes from. So where does this laundry detergent come from, and what's it made out of? Where does this meal come from, and where is it made out of? Um, that, those are the types of questions that I would encourage us all to start asking. And then when it comes to food, then trying to look for what is seasonal, you know, that's that's the key piece is, you know, tomatoes in the winter. That's just not happening. Even though we live in Southern California, that's not realistic. You know, we have right. we eat our, our diet and the ability of f- the food on our plate changes every month. And that's a beautiful thing in and of itself, because 
we don't eat mangoes, fresh mangoes here in California. And that's why if we ever get to travel to the tropics, it makes it that much more special. So we keep the things on our plate that are actually from these regions of these seasons. So right now we're eating a ton of tomatoes and eggplants and peppers and all the hot weather stuff. And then soon around the corner, we're going to start eating cooler stuff. We're going to eating winter squash that we're going to store for the winter and leafy greens and broccolis. And the diet changes. It becomes really beautiful. And it's an expression in a relationship between of life. But there must be a deeper reason that we should follow those seasonal vegetables. Do you, can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, I th- not yeah, if we're not t- beyond sort of sustainability, mm-hmm. ecological sustainability, I think one of the core pieces is building a local economy, mm-hmm. right? So if we're, you know, so if we can buy local, that means we're going to buy at scale. So we're going to relate to a farmer that is making a livelihood in this community that's then going and spending his money at your restaurant or buying a CD from this, you know, whatever. We're, we're keeping money insular. When we start using industrial systems of any level, money is lost from, from, from communities. And so therefore, when you shop at a large supermarket, that money is going to corporate headquarters. Somewhere else. That doesn't mean that's a bad thing. It just means that if we want to do better, we build relationships and we build local economy. And local economy eventually starts thinking about stewardship of the environment as well. So it all is connected. It's all really and then that doesn't even talk about human health and all the well-being of animals, and the, you know, of pro- proteins that we consume. And it's all related. Right, right. Now, back to your event. Um, you said you'll have live music. Anybody that uh, people know about here? Or? Well, we tr- we mix it up. We work a lot with Moonsville Collective and they're a kind of what we call old-timey bluegrass band. Very, oh, very farm nice. style. This, t- we're, this year we're working with Chris Murphy, who's a uh, music extraordinaire from Los Angeles, and he's got a whole honky-tonk band. So very cool. It's, sh- it's always fun. Very cool. It's always foot-tap and fun. D- and now, if anybody's interested, are there still tickets available, or is your event already sold out? Tickets are sold out. Okay. But we do this... We do things like this maybe um not nothing there's only one green feast okay but we do other types of events so please check our website called theecologycenter.org okay we have so a, you do a series of events garden? called community table which oh. is dining in the garden very nice and w- the, if you're really interested in the event we do have a waiting list so it's maybe not impossible okay so yeah. for for this year um all sold out but for next year when should people start looking to buy tickets july 1st is when tickets go on sale okay and they go quick they with the, a day quick or five no, minutes quick like no, not a radiohead concert <laughs> but but pretty close <laughs> okay all right very good but the community the community <coughs> table sounds like a great a great community table is great it's casual it's fun usually chef erica tucker um spearheads that and it's Eating local, fresh, seasonal with friends. I mean, it's hard to beat. Very cool. All right. So I am looking at this beautiful book, Backyard Skills. If anybody does want that book, can they go online to order that yeah. book? Our website is, is our core portal. All of our information, our calendar, educational content of where we learn about understanding more about where food comes from, where we want to build skills, where we want to buy things. It's all there. And um, we have about five more minutes to go in terms of our time. Give me an idea of where you want to see this go. Either both of you can chime in on this, but um, give me an idea of where you want to see this grow and grow to where you're at today and where you see yourself in three to five years. Well, we've had some success over the first five years, and we're excited on expanding our reach. 
and we're playing with a few different ideas, but all in all, we're looking at building tools that can inspire not just Southern California, because that's kind of what we've been focused on initially, but can focus on the entire nation and beyond. So those are resources and tools, networks and communities where we're all working together. Um, a few of the, the assets that we have is we have there's intellectual property through the center of just a very talented team. And I think that we have the ability to present things in unique ways through design process and presentation. Right. So we we are looking forward to more collaborative opportunities, both with partners like Hurley and Chipotle and other nonprofits throughout the country. And so scaled content is sort of where we're moving at. Okay, good. Anything that you'd like to add, Dr. Meng? Yeah, I think I just want to echo what Evan said, which is that I'm really excited about seeing this expand to other states and other parts of the country. I think we have a really unique way of packaging and presenting our content so that it inspires people and makes people want to go pick up the shovel or install a rain barrel or whatever it is. And um, I know at least for the garden content um, that we have a really good way of helping people really connect with the specifics of where they live with their local climate, weather and their local food shed. And I'm really looking forward to opportunities to scale that and it, and and bring it to other parts of the country in a way that still that helps people see the big picture but also still be able to connect to what their locality is, what's their season like, what's, you know, help them ask the important questions and and look around at where they are and how they can plug in. One of the questions I thought about earlier in the interview was how far up the river do we have to go to fix some of the issues that are finding their way down to the ocean? Is there... Well, the good news is that we get to, we work our way up the rivers and the creeks and we end up in the houses that are lined throughout the world. So it literally is house by house, right? Because everything we do at home connects back to some sort of runoff, literally and figuratively. So the good news is that we retrofit house by house. Okay. Right? So that it's 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 not about remediation of the ecosystem, it's about remediation of our of our individual settlements. And that way it becomes tangible. That's, at least that's it gives th- something that some everybody can do. Right. You have an opportunity to make a difference for the health of the ocean, and so do I, and so does your neighbor and the neighbor after that, and, and it all becomes positive. And so back to the core purpose and the core mission statement of the Ecology Center is really to educate, inspire, and empower people to make that difference in their in their very simple ways that they can do from their home. It's been a really interesting hour with the both of you. Thank you, Kimberly. Dr. Thank you, Kimberly. Dr. Meg Heisinger and Evan Marks. I've just been so happy to spend the hour with you. So thank Likewise. you for taking the time to be such articulate spokespersons on the uh, on the issue. We're very passionate. We're fired up. We're grateful for everyone's support. And please join us at theecologycenter.org and come visit us in San Juan Capistrano. Sounds wonderful. Yes, we Thank definitely so will. Enjoy your event. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Take you. Care. See you soon. Thanks, Kimberly. Bye now.